Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Welcome to the Dr. Christopher Hall Show on the Neil Haley Show. I'm excited to welcome program, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Hall, how are you? What's gone? Thank you for your service. He's Nobel Prize nominated doctor, best-selling author. Chris, what's going on, man? Oh, not much. Not much. Just working. Just working and uh, just, uh, you know, uh, enjoying the uh, summertime weather. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not enjoying the Texas weather. It's too, too hot. And I'm excited to welcome to the show WCW and WWE legendary wrestler and most inspirational speaker speaks to kids does all these great things he's, I hear so many different projects Mark Miro Mark thanks for stopping by man how are you Neil it's great to see you and Chris Dr. Chris great to have you on the phone man good to looking forward to this man I've been uh, waiting to do this for a couple weeks now and I'm excited about talking with you guys all right we appreciate that Mark so Chris go ahead first question for Mark uh, with no problem, no problem. Well, Mark, you know what? Uh, you, you certainly, uh, we know a lot about you from wrestling and, and, and the things you're doing now, but tell, did you always want to uh, do wrestling? How'd you get into wrestling? You know, it's uh, it, it's kind of a funny thing. I, I didn't start, I didn't become a professional wrestler until I was 31 years old. And, um, you know, my first love was hockey and I made all the way to the juniors. And then, of course, I went into uh, I played football where I was uh, a first team all county under George O'Leary, who became a national champion with Georgia Tech. Uh, and then I got into boxing and I ended up winning the, the New York State Golden Gloves uh, state championships uh, on th uh, four occasions uh, and then uh, made some really bad choices in life. Went down a bad road, got involved with drugs and uh, 10 years of my life went by. And next thing I know, I was with I was watching TV with a bunch of my buddies over my apartment. One of my buddies had the remote and he was like flipping through the TV channels and he landed on professional wrestling. And I always knew I was a good athlete. And I just said to everybody, go, hey guys, I could do that. They busted out laughing. They go, look at the size of those guys. They'll pick you up over their head and throw you right out of that ring. I said, no, I'm telling you, I can do that. So it's always about taking action towards a goal. Now that was a new goal I had is now, how do I get into wrestling? Well, I found out there was a wrestling school in Tampa, Florida, Malenko, you know, Dean Malenko, yeah. Joe Malenko, and his dad was Boris Malenko. So I, I lived in Venice, Florida. It was about an hour away. And I started driving there after work and on weekends, got off drugs. And um, one year later, I was signed to my first contract with WCW Wrestling as the character Johnny B. Bad. Right. And so, we, Mark, I want to jump back into this. And this is interesting when you talk about the, the the drugs and the alcohol don't do going down that path the boxing is it from the the pain in boxing that led to the addiction no no my whole life i was always an athlete and i never had an off season i was doing three sports and i always never had an off season and i would always remember when i got into high school all my buddies would be going to parties and having fun on weekends and stuff and i could never do that because i was always training for a competition or something and and in some weird way i felt like i was missing out on something you know and after um i had my first i turned professional in boxing and i had my after I, I i became a member of the u.s boxing team i moved to colorado springs colorado i trained at the u.s olympic training center 
And while I was there, I realized I was one of the best fighters in the country. So I decided to turn professional. Two weeks before my first professional boxing match in my hometown in New York, I had my nose shattered in an accident. I needed reconstructive surgery. And in that time off, I thought, man, I'm just going to have some fun for a change. You know, I got a whole I, doctor thought it'd be about almost a year before I could go back and start having full contact again. So in that time was the first time I started really going to parties and having fun. And next thing I know, drinking and that led to drugs. And next thing I'm drunk and high and I got addicted to cocaine and then spent 10 years of my life in addiction. But always knowing I missed out on all these sports I was so proficient at. And it always it always bothered me. And then when I had the opportunity to get into wrestling, Man, I, I I took it and and made it and did and then I wrestled on off for fourteen years. All right, Chris. Next question wow. for me. Wow, that that that's great. And um, you know, he suddenly had a tough travel. You know, with, with addiction and uh, and now doing uh, the great things he's doing. So uh, now, Mark, let me uh, ask you this: um, What was say maybe one of your favorite boxing matches? I mean, what if you had to say one of my personal favorite boxing matches? Yeah, you're you're yes. Um, I, there was a guy I fought in the, um, in the finals of the, uh, um, empire state games. It was for the gold medal. And the guy's name was James, the hammer degree. And he was knocking out everybody in the first round and everyone, this, and this was when I was very young in my career. And, uh, everyone thought that, you know, that this guy's going to knock me out. And I just wanted to prove everybody wrong. And I ended up beating him and winning the gold medal in the Empire State game. So that's one that always sticks out in my mind. It wasn't the most devastating fight, but it was uh, the one that put, had so much pressure on me going in because he claimed he was going to knock me out like everybody else in the first round. And I destroyed him, man. I, I came out there, I was just too strong for him. And I had an uh, incredible uh, wind. I, my, my, my endurance was incredible. So I just dis dis demolished him in the third round. Now, Mark, when you talk about specifically enough the, the, the boxing and wrestling, which one do you think took more uh, pain towards head injuries, boxing or wrestling? Um, I would say wrestling, you know, I, I in boxing. I really didn't get hit a lot or I never been knocked out or knocked down. Really? So, yeah. So, but, but, but the difference is, is that boxing, you have, a, you know, you have a boxing match every, you know, few months right. where wrestling, you know, we were doing 250 cities a year. And the constant trauma you take it on your body, hitting the mat. You know, you remember you're landing on your back a lot of times, but you think your head is is also hitting many times. You know, so it really took a toll on your body, and I think that's why so many uh, professional wrestlers were, were became addicted to pain medication. That was the number one cause of many of the the deaths that uh, we lost. So many of the guys that that I wrestled against that started with pain. It starts with pain medication. The amount of bumps and things like that and head trauma and head injuries. How many concussions do you think you had? I probably think I had maybe three or four in wrestling. I can remember, but it's very hard because we just go to the next night and there was not doctors at that time really checking us for these specific things, especially taking chair shots to the head and stuff. Um, you know, it was, it's funny that you asked that. I was at uh, Diamond Dale's Page's house yesterday, and he reminded me of a story when I wrestled um, a Raven. At that time, he was called Scotty Flamingo in WCW. Wow. And we wrestled the Omni in Atlanta. And I, and Dallas told me the story about how I came back, and I, and I asked him, did I wrestle yet? And he said, Mark, you just came from the, the ring. I go, I can't even remember the match. I hit my head so hard in that match. I didn't remember how we finished. How, how I even, you know, and I, I, I was supposed to win. I think uh, Scotty pulled me and pulled me on top of him and counted the, had the referee count, you know. I don't remember anything about the match. And so I remember that obviously was, was a serious concussion. But the next day we're doing, uh, you know, Monday Night Raw or whatever it was, you know. I mean, there's no, like you said, there was no, no doctors really checking on us or no, there was no, there was no, um, a concussion protocol or anything that they not even in the big time like in the minor leagues forget about it we bust up and we go to the next town and independence and forget about it right for 40 dollars yeah. the next town <laughs> then yeah. then, you know the chair shots you know we were really hitting each other in the head with the chair exactly and and, and i mean those really those really knock you for a loop you know when you get hit hard in the head with a chair that's a real chair people go oh, isn't it fake isn't it a fixed no. No, it's a real steel chair that, that we got hit with every single time.
time that you know we were, it was called for in the match. You knew it was coming, but it still it doesn't lessen the blow. Exactly. All right, Chris. Next question for Mark. Uh, let me see something. Give me a second. All right. Okay. Uh, we'll just keep going. Uh, so basically, Mark, if when you're talking about specifically wrestling, we talked about it. You still ended up in some addiction issues, even in wrestling, right? Even though you overcame it. That's yeah. the other part of your transformation story is, is that addiction did hit you even in wrestling. You had a very successful wrestling career. First, Johnny B. Bad. Then, you know, came Mark Miro in WWE. But at that time, you had lots of challenges and addiction. Kind of go into that. Yes. You know, it's, it's funny because my whole life I dreamed of becoming, you know, you have, like every kid, you want to be rich and famous. You want to be able to buy fancy car, nice house. And I, I obtained all those, those material things, but still would go on the road and party with the guys. And next, you know, the, like the bar owners are leaving the bars open all night for you. And there's a lot of temptation, and a lot of drugs and everybody's giving you stuff. Remember, I would have to pay for drugs. Now people are just giving it to me, you know? And then, um, you know, I eventually uh, met Reno, who became my wife, Sable, and I, I got off the drugs. We went to WWE, and it wasn't until after we left the WWE, and she went back, and I didn't go back. But that's when, um, you know, obviously our marriage fell apart, and I got really heavily into drugs then. And that's where I really went south and probably almost killed myself, uh, you know, Many times, I mean, I overdosed on drugs on three occasions that I could actually remember that I, I couldn't believe I even woke up from it, you know, so I, I went down a real, you know, it's like, I, I often say like I hit rock bottom and then found out that rock bottom had a basement, you know, it was that bad. I just didn't want to be here anymore. And then I made this amazing comeback in life. And I, I think the gift that God gave me is I understand what people go through. And so when I talk to someone, it is like you're telling me something I don't know or haven't experienced when someone tells me they're suicidal or don't want to be here anymore. And I often tell that this story is that, like, if I would have ended my life back then in 2003, I never would have known all the beautiful things that were planned for me or that I had in my life that would come later on. And, oh, my gosh, it, I... I am so thankful. Every day I wake up, man, I look up and I just thank God that I didn't, I didn't right. pull the trigger that day and um, end it all because, man, I, I'm living the most incredible life. And the joy I have is helping someone else. There's no greater joy than helping another person. That's so, so true. And I think that, uh, Chris, are you back on? I got you back on. I guess somehow I was having technical difficulties, no worries. Uh, so basically what I was saying is that uh, that, that time mark, when I think about specifically enough, um, you giving joy, giving that joy to people and doing all these things, that's more fulfilling than when you were in pro wrestling, it sounds like. It seems like the way you're able to give back in this whole transformation story to this point where you're rock bottom, thinking of killing yourself to now helping others. You brought up more about that helping aspect. Explain that in more detail, like that feeling of giving and how everyone else should give as much as you're giving in life because then you feel fulfilled and you feel like every day is a, is a great day to get up and wake up each morning. You know, anyone that is going through something in their life, if they help someone else go through it or they help someone else that is going through, whether it's addiction or depression or anxiety or self-harm or suicidal thoughts or whatever it is, you know, I think that, that, that it, this joy that came into my life and realizing, you know, we're all going to leave a legacy and my legacy is not going to be how nice my house was or what kind of car I drove or how much money I had. My legacy is going to be the difference I was able to make in someone else's life. You know, I've been doing this, this going into my 16th year speaking at schools. Oh so God. what's so cool now is that many students or adults that write to me saw me back when I was, they were in middle school or high school, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And now they have their own business, they're a professional athlete, they have a right. record deal. And they attribute the day I came to their schools, the day that changed or saved their life. And I get letter like, letters like that almost every day. Now, see, that's the thing. I remember when you first started doing this and I had you on back in that time. Now we're sitting here now today, 15 years later, and then you made it through the COVID thing, figuring out changes and transforming how you would do speaking. Now you're back speaking at schools again. I just see these videos and they're so transforming because of kids that are being bullied 
And it was when the first time I talked to you on a, did a radio interview with you. And then I had you back on a couple of years before. The thing, Mark, that makes me feel is that kids are being bullied every day and you're here for them. You truly are here for them. And you had that one viral video that changed everything even more to transform what you're doing. But it's all about helping. And then every time you're sharing that inspiration to people and they, the kids just know you truly are there for them. You truly want to help them and you're staying for all of them. It's got to feel so joyful, but it also has to be so transforming that you have saved kids' lives. You have saved so many people's lives when you are going to take your own life. And, and that's back, back to what I said is I never would have known all the beautiful things that were, would have came in my life. And especially when I get a letter from a kid that said, you changed or you saved my life. It's, it's, there's no greater joy. And it's like, you know, up until the pandemic came, we averaged 230 events a year, year after year. Oh, and you know what the deal is when I was, when I retired from wrestling and my last match was over in, in Europe, in England, and I remember flying home thinking, I never got to travel again. I could just, just stay home. <laughs> tired. And next thing you know, I'm right back out there. And, and like I said, this will be my 16th year. Now, what happened was when the pandemic came, you know, obviously we couldn't speak at schools anymore. So we had the, almost two years off of presenting. We were doing viral um, uh, presentations, virtual presentations. Yeah. And, 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 it, and obviously it's never the same because, you know, being in front of the kids and then and then getting to meet kids after, you never need, know when a kid needs a hug or a high five or a kind word or something that you're right there sharing with them. So it, we went, now we're back in schools and our September schedule is just crazy already, man. So we're booking schools all over the country. And, you know, we've been it's, it's, it's crazy. Just before the pandemic, we were in Guatemala. Uh, we were, we spoke in Russia, did school, presented at schools over in Russia, you know, oh uh, we go, so we go to United States and Canada and, and we'll be back up uh, averaging quite a few events this year, this coming school year, providing that we don't have any more problems with, um, you know, pandemic and uh, monkey pox and all the other. Right, right. Were you, were you able to kind of change your business model in a way to be able that they were interested in that the virtual end of speaking to kids how did you do these virtual events that you keep doing and doing the going to the schools too well you know we we built a a studio for this i have a studio i'm at my home right now this is where i do my podcast but i have another room that i have a, a studio where i could stand up and have green screen and everything else where i can do a virtual presentation. Um, I, like I said, I, I really like to be live in front of the kids because, you know, the coolest thing is that many schools now see the impact it has on students. So they allow the kids that want to stay after to meet me. And it's funny because when I speak to an auditorium full of kids, it's like almost every kid wants to meet me or talk to me or, or so the kids are all yeah. lined up, you know, and it's, it's just crazy. And obviously I don't have a lot of time with each kid, but I will share with them. If they start telling me a, a pretty in-depth story, I go, I do want to hear this, but please, I want you to email me or write to me, direct message me on social media, and I will get back to you because, you know, there's so many kids that obviously you've got to, um, you know, be there for. And, and many kids that come up to me are crying or, you know, they're hugging their friend or, you know, they, they all have a story. We all have a story. So, Mark, you've grown and expand this. Social media, first the viral stuff with YouTube. Now we're seeing you out on social media going viral in so many other places. Where do you go? Where are you going next? Because I think that you spoke to kids and you want to continue that market. But I think that Mark, especially being next to Mr. Entrepreneur himself, which DDP is just freaking amazing. What he's <laughs> been able to do with DDP yoga and then expanding it more and more i'm sure having you two in the same room together having lunch or breakfast or dinner together or working out together the ideas start flowing don't they oh yeah yeah we're we're, we're i just spent the other day with him and, and jake roberts the other day and okay. we had we just have such a good time man i tell you we come up with ideas and and i'm going to start going to over to his house or he'll come to my house and we'll We'll shoot some videos. We'll, we'll answer questions that people write to us. So we got some ideas that we want to do together. But right now, what we're doing is we're just sharing each other's um, reels. You know, one minute motivational. I call it the Meryl's motivational minute. You know, so because I, I realize that people don't have a lot of attention span. You know, you don't want to do like a, a fifteen minute. Right. 
thing where people are going to go, oh my gosh, I can't listen to all this right now. But when you put something together that's only 30 seconds to a minute, anybody can watch it. So it's doing really well and people are starting to share and we're getting more and more uh, people that follow us and then share the media, the, the things that help other people. But I, every day, every single day, I get someone that says, I needed to hear this today. This right, one, right. this one saved me or changed me or whatever it would be. And Dale's DDP, the same thing. He's, he's saying the same thing that how many times that he gets a, these same messages that, that I I'm getting. So you're both on that, doing those insp inspirational messages. So there are there projects in the works with you in Dallas or that you can't say yet? Um, you know what? We, we, we're definitely going to do something together. We're just trying to come up with the right, the right. We're so busy, both of us, and especially when school starts, man, I'm on the road all the time. And Dale's got so many irons in the fire of all, you know, his acting career and a lot of things, his speaking career. Uh, that's another thing that, that I did over the summer was I did some, some um, corporate events, okay. which was really fun to do because I, you know, I'm always around students, wow. but when I look at the corporate events, I couldn't believe the reaction of adults. And I, and I use this, Neil, and it's very important is that as adults, we tend to become complacent in life one day becomes the next. And we say things like, I wish I would have, or I wish I could have, or we say things like, those were the days. Right. I'm here to tell you, these are the days. These are the days we learn from past mistakes. We grow in grace and knowledge. We can accomplish anything we set our minds to. You want to write a book? It's so easy to write a book now. You want to start a business. There's so many things that we have opportunities now that we can do, but I don't want to look back on my life and say, why didn't I at least try Neil, I'm never going to retire. I'm just going to refire. And that's. Did, 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 you, did, you, did, you, did you put that quote? I'm never going to, I'm going to refire. Is that going to be, is that on, on one of your quotes? It is. I'm not going to retire. I'm going to refire. And because I, I, I think when we stop dreaming, we stop living. I like, Neil, I don't want to say those were the days because it's almost saying like my best days have already passed me. I believe that the rest of my life will be the best of my life. My best years are ahead of me. And I'm, I'm so excited about, about pursuing this and every day, because every day, uh, like you'll see, I don't know if you've seen some of my, my motivational videos that I'm doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, seen them. Dog. I'm in my backyard, you yeah. know, I'm home. It's so much fun. And I just go, I come up with this, an idea or something. I walk the dog. I just hold the phone up in the air and uh, you know, my dog's over there pooping or peeing or something. And I'm doing some motivation. I showed Dallas one the other day that I, that I actually uh, showed uh, it was a, a video that I, I made. And I said, Dallas, I'm going to show you the outtake of this video. One that I did not share. Okay. And it's me talking and I go over, I go, hey, this is Mark. I'm walking my dog, Rocco. And there's Rocco squatting down, taking a big old dump. You know, I said, <laughs> hey, I'm not going to use this one. <laughs> go, just got to keep rolling, keep rolling. Yeah, we, we got a kick out of it and had a, had a good laugh together. Right. And so do you see yourself doing more and more corporate or is the, the kids just the thing that's really always going to be your thing? School, obviously, my, my focus is on the kids. I mean, the, the cool thing about the corporate thing is obviously that it's financially, it's it's much better and it helps it helps structure the money for many of the schools that we do. Many schools don't have any money and, and uh, it's very difficult. And, you know, flights have gone up 35%. Uh, rental cars have almost doubled hotels, everything is so expensive now to travel. And, and, and so many, there's so many less flights. Thank goodness I live in Atlanta where it's one of the biggest hubs, but to get in and out of places has been a little more difficult. So we got our challenges ahead of us, but the corporate has, has helped us in, in our sponsor. We got a couple wonderful sponsors, Comulus Communications um, and uh, uh, Soper, uh, Dave Soper, who does uh, uh, consulting. He has really helped us out a lot. Uh, it just got a heart for kids. It's not even like they even want us to promote their company. They just want to help they us. They want to help kids. It's a great, yes, yes, great, great message because you're helping and saving people's lives. I'm waiting for, you know, you probably the, the next step for you as my ideation is going with kids is that this ultimately you should be end up at with the president talking about how you're here to fight bullying. This is the thing that you can do is you're the, you're that you're being that inspiring person the next step is for you to take this even further, not just from school to school, but a way to really decrease bullying, increase helping these kids that are cutting themselves, suicide prevention, all these things you are doing every time you do your events and changing lives. You need to change lives even further where you can't be there and they understand your religion and understand what you're doing.
You know, Neil, that is a great thing you just said. And we are actually trying to do that. I have a friend on, on Twitter. Her name is Zena. And she is uh, Vinny Pazienza. Remember Vinny Pazienza, the boxer? Yes. She kind of manages his career. And she uh, is just taking, I spoke at her daughter's school and her daughter couldn't stop talking about the presentation. So she has been writing to the first lady, the president of, about me and helping me to try to facilitate this. And I, I got to tell you, the, the problem we're seeing at, at public schools, I really have my finger on the pulse of what's happening in our country because I'm with the kids. I'm with the kids wow. every day. They write to me, they open up to me, they talk to me, they share with me. And one of the problems we have is, you know, we have counselors at school that really, you know, that many of them are great counselors. They help the kids and then they help them facilitate maybe what college they're going to or what classes to take and so on. They do, they do help with some bullying and so on, you know. But the problem we have, Neil, is we don't have mental health specialists. That's I mean, right. we might have one for a whole district and it takes weeks and weeks before a student could actually get in front of them. And when you have a kid that's suicidal or self-harming or depressed beyond belief, you know, that... You need to get these kids help right away. Totally. And that's one of the problems we have, I mean, we're giving so much money to other places in our country and all the world, and we don't put enough money into our own education. Many of the classes these kids take, they will never even use. Why are we not teaching kids about finance and about, about mental health, how they can um, get through some of this stuff? And you know, another thing is I'm seeing so many kids on medication today. I'm not, I'm not against medication, but if, if my child was ever prescribed medication, I would just ask, maybe get a second or third opinion before you put your kid on medication. Because okay. sometimes kids are on medication the rest of their lives. So you're speaking to the challenges that are happening and you need to continue to get that. And the more viral you go on social media, the more the opportunity, then the president's going to learn about it. That's the bottom sure, line. I, I sure hope so, because uh, right now it's falling on deaf ears. And uh, people like like Zena and others that are really helping me to uh, move this forward, because um, if you ever see one of my school presentations, I mean, many times you, a middle or high school give me a standing ovation. When, when does a kid even care about a 62 year old guy coming out and talking to him, you know? So it's it's really fun. And I'm really enjoying this this chapter of my life. And um I just hope it continues. And uh, who would ever think at, at, at my age I'd be doing this? And it's, it's the greatest gift in the world. I want to continue giving this gift and sharing this gift with others to help others. All right. So where can people go, Mark, to find out information on you right now? Well, our website is probably the best place, which is think, T-H-I-N-K, pause, which is P-O-Z as in zebra, thinkpause.org, thinkpause.org. And uh, you can see videos on me. You can schedule me that way. Um, you'll, you'll get answered right away if you write to us. Uh, someone will get in touch with you. So we um, uh, hope to get, uh, obviously, continue booking throughout the year. We got September almost completely filled now. Now we're starting to work on October. And uh, as we get closer to the summer ending, I'm sure we're going to get a lot more um, scheduled events. All right. So and you're thinking that more, so more and more in-person Bookmark today. Your shows, as I remember when you first talked about it, it's like going to a WWE event, right? We're not going <laughs> to give. I have a multimedia presentation, so as I'm talking, things are happening behind me on the big screen. You know where I lived and grew up, and pictures of me younger, and different things I experienced in my life. But um, the other thing I want to say, Neil, is that anyone that is listening to this podcast can also find me on um, a, a, a Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, TikTok, uh, just type in my name. You'll you'll find me very easy. But that's where we're putting up these these one minute uh, Meryl's motivational minute, and you could hashtag that Meryl's motivational minute. And you'll find me in the different social media outlets. Your podcast? What you tell us about your podcast? I don't have a podcast. I go on other people's podcasts. Oh, I thought you were, I thought you had a podcast. No, no, no. no. I, I I have friends like incredible friends like you, Neil, that allow me on their podcast. I I just at this time don't have a time to do a podcast every week or or but uh it's fun to go on other people's podcasts because it's uh it's you know usually a, a half hour an yeah, hour. Yeah, that's good. That's good you go and do that. You're right. That's time, yeah. that's time. There's a lot more work involved than other your own podcast. Got it. Well, appreciate it, Mark. Thanks again for stopping by. Uh and take care. Neil, always great to see you, man. I God bless you. And yeah, thank you. I'd say bye. Bye-bye. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I love to talk to entrepreneur mindset people. And my guest today is Stephen John. He's from, he's the CEO of HCG Holdings. How are you, Stephen? Thanks for stopping by. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's kind of talk about specifically your entrepreneurial journey. How did that start? How did you 
was always in your blood? Yeah, as a matter of fact, right out of college, uh, my dad was re- taking an early retirement from the Bell, Co- Bell Telephone Companies, the breakup of AT&T. And he and I started a phone, uh, phone installation company, which my brother still runs today. That would have been 1981. So uh, I kind of got the bug then and have been pretty much a serial entrepreneur ever since. I've done a couple of stints in corporate America, but for the most part, uh, stayed on the entrepreneurial path. What is your experience in corporate world? What did you do? So I was, uh, I was in the cable industry for couple of stints, um, one with a small privately owned cable company called Helicon. We got acquired by Charter Communications, which is now the second largest cable company, Spectrum. Uh, it was a Paul Allen company at the time. Um, and then <clears throat> most recently, I was a uh, CEO of a public company called Westel, based in Chicago. Okay. Well, great. Great. And so let's talk about specifically enough your entrepreneur mindset, your businesses right now. So your main ones, HCG Holdings, how did you come up with that idea for this business? Yeah, so when when you spend a lot of your career buying and selling companies, uh, you always have these periods in between where you may have non-competes or some type of contractual restrictions on what you can do. So I created HCG as a holding company to either do investments, uh, private investments, or to be able to do... uh, consulting projects um, several years ago. And then when I left my most recent uh, kind of J-O-B uh, as CEO of Westel, I just decided to really concentrate on advisory work, you know, really helping early to uh, early to mid-stage companies that are looking to try and grow, with, grow through scale, grow through acquisition, mm. uh, maybe raise capital. Uh, doing advisory. Um, and then we partner with other entities from time to time, depending on, you know, what industry it is or what expertise we may need to bring in, uh, to, you know, to bring more resources to bear, uh, either if we're representing a client to sell their company, helping someone, you know, identify targets to buy and or raise capital. So HCG is kind of this um, holding company that does various things. So when you're so a so holding company in a way, of, so they're looking at the the journey, right? From hey, you have a company, you want your goal is to sell the company at one point in time. Is that the kind of company you're looking for? Is one hey, they're in a specific phase in their raising capital stuff, but they have a goal at one point to sell. Is that yeah? So we do a couple of things. We help you know entrepreneurs. You know, typically companies that were started in a family. They've gotten to a certain size, maybe second or third generation. They're looking for a way to exit and monetize that for their family. Um, other cases, we, we find startups or early stage companies that are looking either to raise capital or to build a capital strategy or build a growth strategy. Um, you know, through 40 years of being an entrepreneur and, and a C-level executive and some, some large organizations, you build, you know, fairly significant and you'll this way age me Rolodex. Um, and so we use those relationships and contacts to help companies either, you know, with growth strategies, exit strategies, or acquisition strategies. So how difficult is it to, to sell your business? If you're looking at to maximize it, it's not easy. Um, you know, s- some people um, try to go it alone, which is not necessarily the wrong thing to do. But if you really want to maximize the valuation, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, an advisor can help uh, by bringing both financial potential financial buyers and or strategic buyers uh, and really work to help that, uh, you know, the ownership really maximize the valuation of the business and and position it in a way uh, that gives them the best exit. And sometimes you look at some of the startups that are looking to raise capital first, right? And the goal that they, they or let's say a certain company, like a tech company that they want to be out in three years. And then you're advising them in that process too, right? Because you see a lot of these, you know, startups that at first need to raise capital, right? To get to the level they are so they can be sold, right? That's correct. Yes. That's exactly what we do. So, we, you know, we'll help them decide if, you know, where are they in their, in their growth trajectory you know, what type of capital is going to be the most attractive for them? Is it going to be, you know, angel capital, venture capital? Is it more traditional equity? Could they do debt? Um, you know, there's many ways to raise capital. 
Um, and I learned the hard way through my entrepreneurial journey that, you know, that <clears throat> how you raise capital, not how much you raise, but how you raise it, where it comes from can be, you know, the, the most important decision you make because you're trying to hang on to as much equity as you can as an owner. Uh, and sometimes, you know, someone's standing there with a check in their hand, it looks really, really attractive, but it might not be the best option for you. And you're able to consult in that way so you don't make the, the, the wrong decision. Because when you sell your company or somebody's rate <coughs> capital, they can gain so much control of your company, it ends up being worthless to you and it's really not your business anymore. It's theirs. That's correct. That's exactly right. And where do you, where do people, like this is a tip for people because people that listen to my show are entrepreneurs, business owners, are different people. They're always looking to raise money. Where do people find angel investors or financiers? Is it challenging? Is it a difficult thing? What are the recommendations to find people that are looking to invest in things? You know, obviously where most people start is friends and family, um, you know, reaching out to their network. Uh, and then there are angel organizations all over the United States. Every, every major city has some type of an angel uh, organization that look to help. Maybe it's an incubator that has angels attached to it that are looking to help really early stage companies. You know, the earliest early stage companies are typically going to take friends and family or, or their own money to get that, you know, to get started, to get at least a business plan and a customer and something that's tangible that is investing, you know, investable. Uh, then they can go the angel route, or if it's an accelerated business, uh, they can, you know, look to venture if it's got, you know, large enough growth potential, if it's a big B2C uh, type of an opportunity where there's, there's, you know, really massive growth potential, they can look to the venture world. Uh, but typically, it's going to be in the angel world. And, and those angels are not that hard to identify. Uh, there's, there's usually organizations uh, within, you know, within every geography. That, that are really looking for those early stage investments. Define for me the difference between, or describe the difference between an angel investor and a venture capitalist. What's the difference of getting natural capital money versus angel investor money? Yeah, angels are typically individuals, high net worth individuals. They're going to take a small piece. Uh, they normally, angels won't take the whole uh, you know, piece of funding. Um, sometimes they will if they really like the opportunity, but it's normally going to be an individual or a small group of individuals that'll be angel investors. Whereas a venture fund is someone that, you know, it, it's an actual fund. They've gone out and raised capital for the sole purpose of investing in, in uh, early stage companies. Uh, and they look at things a whole lot differently, right? They're, they're looking for um, those unicorns. Uh, and first time I got in, in, uh, introduced to the venture world was my, the first, very first time I tried to raise. Um, and the guy told me a really interesting thing. He said, if you were asked, we were looking for 5 million. He says, if you were asking for 50 million, uh, we would fund you. And I said, that doesn't make any sense to me. And he says, well, we look at it differently. As a venture fund, <clears throat> I've got $500 million. I've got to take, I've got to take 10, $50 million positions because I know statistically, you know, Three of those are going to go completely busted. I'm going to lose everything I've got. You know, three to five of those are going to be moderately successful. I may get my money out with a small return uh, or I may lose a little bit of money. I'm looking for that one in 10 unicorn that's going to give me a 20 or 30 or 40 X return. If you're the unicorn and I put 5 million into you and I put, you know, the rest of my 500 million other places, I don't get the right return. It, it, it kind of blew my mind. It, it told me I never wanted to invent, invest in a venture fund. That's uh, a really high. Right. It's, a, it's a crapshoot. It's almost like for the individual, the venture fund is like almost like for the individual when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, a, a high rate return type of investment with lots of risk. Like, you know, like, a, so the, it almost seems the same. So you're telling me the people who invest in as a venture capitalist fund your venture fund, you're going to see specifically enough that they they're trusting whoever's doing that that they're going to put they're going they're going to be able to find the right company. So that's why they're so difficult to get venture capital to be part of a venture capital fund, meaning yeah. for them that to, because they're really under a lot of pressure if they don't make their make that fund any money, right? Yeah, and they have really tight timeframes when they need to get in and out of a of an investment thing, you know. It, it's a formula. It's very formula driven, but that's why they hire, you know, some of the brightest and smartest 
minds in, in the particular industries they're going to invest in because they've got to look at, you know, they've got to kiss a lot of babies to, you know, to find the right ones uh, that are really going to fit into their model. And, you know, hopefully one of those 10, and sometimes two of the 10 or three of the 10 go crazy. And then, you know, the, the returns are ridiculous. At that so point. it's almost like an individual person, a hedge fund, how they're as a hedge fund person, their job for that individual investor is kind of like a business, a, a venture capitalist person for a fund for a business. Would you, is that almost the kind of situation where it's a high risk, high return type of environment? Yeah. And you, yeah, whereas private equity looks to invest in existing businesses with existing cash flow, and they're looking for you know a different return. They're looking to a three to five x return. They're much more conservative. They're not going to get into really early stage. So the difference between venture and early stage, lower returns on the on the private equity, but much more predictable because they're investing in who, existing. Who invests in pri private equity funds? Who usually invests in those? That's more of a hedge fund thing or is that? Yeah, hedge funds, um, retirement funds, individuals, oh, okay. things like so, that. Almost you going know, into like the same stuff that people that go yeah. the things like real estate. Like a little longer it, time horizons, little, right. you know, a little right. less risk adverse. The rate is not as high, but it's better than the stock market. Right, that more or, or a mutual fund, you're going to get a higher. But I see where the thing is. So, what do you recommend businesses that are looking at getting investments uh, to to look at? What do they need to look at in their company? What things are the, especially if we're looking at a startup company? What should a startup company think about before looking at all these types of investments? What what things? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things. Um, if it's a real early stage, you know, they'd really have to have a very fully baked uh, go to market strategy, uh, hopefully have some, you know, some beta customers, some proof of concept, at least on their product. Um, they really need to start to be thinking about what the structure is going to look like long term. Do they have the right controls in place, the right, you know, strategy for structure? Because very seldom do you see, you know, the the guy with the business idea, with the technical strategy that comes up with the idea, being the CEO long term, because it's it's different types of skill sets. Sometimes it works that way, <clears throat> yeah. but not always. And so you've got to really be thinking about each stay, each step of that growth trajectory. You know what are, what are the steps I'm going to need to take to prepare my business to go to the next level. Um, you know. For every, you know, for every Google, there's, you know, 10,000 other businesses that don't see anything near that type of a, right. a growth rate. Uh, so, you know, businesses that are just in normal day-to-day, -day, you know, they haven't come up with a unicorn idea, but they're, they've got a good business execution strategy, a unique product offering. They need to think, you know, how do I get to my first million dollars in revenue? How do I get from a million to 10 million? Because each of those steps takes some pretty major um strategic moves to get there it's so interesting to learn about that stuff Stephen. and this is this is intriguing definitely want to have you back on and talk about things again these are just things to think about so if people were interested in hcg holdings what do they need to do to contact Stephen to, to talk to you especially if they're wanting that they're like man this guy has knowledge as i see you have knowledge i want to not have to think about these things to find to get my startup funding or I just inherited a business and I want to sell it quickly and get the best rate of return. So you have multiple ways that people could utilize your company. Where can they go? They can come get, find me on LinkedIn or just come directly to uh, my HCG email address uh, or to our, through our website. So, and is that hcholdings.com? HCG LLC, hcgholdingsllc.com. Okay. Fantastic. Steven, it's great information, man. It's stuff that people wish they can have, especially because there are people, and I don't know if you know this in this industry, you're looking at specific big ones, but there's so many people have this dream. They want to become a $10 million company. I mean, become a hundred million dollar company. They want to people invest you, you know, that's why shark tanks on there, right? Cause yeah. everyone has that shark tank dream. Well, you're taking it to a serious level by the experience that you've been able to provide today. So thanks for stopping by. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, you're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. 
Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mike Velarde Show. I'm excited to work with Mike Velarde. Mike, what's going on? How are you? Hey, great. How are you? Fantastic. Who's our guest today? Oh, great. We have another great guest today. I, I, I love this show. Darren God, Restore Liberty. Darren, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Hey, Mike. It's a pleasure to join you from uh, a state that is much further to your north and has no humidity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So, Mike, let's go with what our topic. What do we want to talk to Darren about? Well, Darren, you know what? For, I, wanna, I want Darren, Darren to talk to us about his organization, uh, Restore Liberty, tremendous organization. Tell us about who's involved and what they're doing, because I think they're doing uh, a great service to the American people. Great. Yeah, thanks. No, I can summarize it pretty quick. The beauty of it is you've already met one of the people, my co-founder, Blaine Holt, retired Air Force Brigadier General, uh, and talked to him. And so him and I are the co-founders. Uh, I'm in an, an executive director role right now, also trying to cross some T's and dot some I's, which I'm not, which I'm really not all that good at. <laughs> More about getting up on a platform and speaking and letting better people do the other stuff. But in the end, Restore Liberty really is about magnifying the Ninth and Tenth Amendments of the U.S. Constitution, showing where how states are the predominant political entity in this state under a federalist system, and reminding folks that uh, the federal government really is in breach of contract with we the people by stepping way outside of its bounds. Uh, and then also the Ninth Amendment that clearly says that if there's confusion about who owns what rights and privileges and power in this country, then it, it automatically defaults to the individual. It doesn't go up. It goes further down. And uh, as a result of that, uh, we work together as an organization to, to educate and empower, to organize grassroots efforts, to work on legislation, to work on how to testify to bills from everything to how do you read the bill, how do you talk about the bill, what's right or wrong with it, and even how you dress and speak in front of a, a, a committee. Uh, and we have a lot of other different kinds of efforts involved in that. And in some cases, there's a, there's biblical citizenship programs, uh, such as in Mississippi, where we got a few people that are teaching directly constitutional programs across the across the state, wherever they can. And we're engaging with the uh, with the church and other entities as well, and just saying, hey, you know, every single one of us has a role to play in in really accomplishing what our title is, restoring liberty. Right. And, our title pretty, is pretty clear, too, and it makes a pretty strong assumption that uh, in order for there to be re something that needs to be restored, there has to be something that was being removed in the first place. What would you say has been removed in the first place with liberty? Well, you know, let, let's start uh, with an easy date. Let's cut, go back to the Federal Reserve in 1913 or so, and for over 100 years, the, the liberty of people to engage in transactions, even in, in multi-state and multi-party transactions without the, the federal government thinking they need to get involved in every single one of those and, and, uh, and look into your, your private life, while also, by the way, ignoring the private lives of others who actually did break laws that are legitimate. Um, the freedom of speech by you know, people getting sued because they don't want to violate their conscience for not calling someone a you know, a they, if they're clearly a she or a he, uh, and the examples abound like crazy in schools, out of schools, in business, uh, forced vaccinations, um, forced mask wear. Every time a federal dollar is involved, there are strings attached that tell you that if you accept this, you're going to have to basically violate your conscience in some way. And if you do it, you're going to, and if you do stick to your conscience, you're going to get sued. That could be, a, you know, again, making a cake, to flying on an airplane without wearing a mask, which I've done it. You get some attention, but uh, there's no law. So how do they enforce it? Uh, and the, the examples abound. In, in fact, you could call it ceding the autonomy and authority that is truly what we invested and delegated to the federal government to international organizations and other private entities that are not accountable to the people. Uh, the administrative state making rules that work against you and I and our ability to speak our minds the way we want to. Uh, January 6th, people <laughs> showed up to a peaceable rally in Washington, D.C., and then were called insurrectionists. Sure, there were people who went into the Capitol building, and there's people who did some things they shouldn't have been done. But the vast majority of all of those people were just good, God-fearing Americans standing on the property that, that, that they own, expressing their opinions. Well... 
I could go on. <laughs> All right, continue. I'm sure you could too. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. I mean, especially now, I mean, more and more evidence is coming out that the, the election was fraudulent and uh, Biden really didn't win. Yeah. And the proof is mounting. There's books, there's videos, there's, 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 there's witnesses even. Mm -hmm. I mean, and so, I mean, they, what they did was really for a righteous purpose. They're angry. I mean, look, look at what's happened since Joe Biden has become our president. Gas is at $5. Inflation's at 40%. He, he's, we, we, the, the, we got a war in Ukraine that we never would have had under Trump. I mean, it, it, it's, it's been a total nightmare. And now, now he's, he's bragging about being double vaccinated, double boosted, and now we got COVID. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. I mean, go figure. And a year ago, he said, you can never get it if you, if you, as long as you're vaccinated and boosted. No, you can never get it. Okay. Right. Now he has it. And now uh, some tests are coming out, scientific tests that are showing that the unvaccinated have better immune than the vaccinated. Well, they, you let your body work the way it's supposed to work and your immune system works the way it's supposed to work. It, that should be the result <laughs> that we would all expect. Right. And uh, there's, only, there's only one guaranteed way to never get COVID-19 and have to tell people that you did. And that's just not to get tested. Right. Right. <laughs> well, what, what I, what I, what I want to do for the audience, because you mentioned the ninth and 10th Amendment, so I just want to read them so people know exactly what they are and there's no confusion. The, the ninth Amendment, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. That's the ninth Amendment. Right. The 10th Amendment is the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Okay. And I think what our viewing, our listening audience needs to understand is that this country was built on biblical a, a biblical foundation a biblical basis that that you know there's a god in heaven and we get our rights from him and i say that because george washington in 1789 on october 3rd he proclaimed thanksgiving and here's the first two sentences of what he said whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of almighty god to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection in favor. And whereas both houses of Congress and by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. And I, and I think that foundation is what's being attacked. When these people are looking to be communist, socialist, it basically is saying there is no God, you need the government. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, was, I spent uh, 45 minutes or so this morning on another different podcast up in Mississippi, and we were talking about the background to the statement of separation of church and state. Now that was completely, uh, well, 1947, Justice Hugo, Hugo Black said, you know, misconstrued what that was saying and turned it into an agenda item and created and created law out of nothing. Right. Created law out of a letter between two private parties that had nothing to do with jurisprudence in any way, shape or form. And if you're going to tear this country down. What you got to do is take out the foundation of the country. You don't have to start at the top. And what's the foundation of this country? Well, I say, we always talk about how there's, there's God family country, right? right. Well, you get God right in your family, then you get your family right. If you get your family right, you get the foundation of the country right. If you take the family out of the middle of that and take God out as a result, uh, you've got a lot of hard days ahead of you. That's for sure. Dude, where, where do you see the organization going? Tell us a little bit more about where, where you're headed. Well, uh, first of all, the most important thing about this organization that we're, that we're working on right now is the ability to establish trust with people across the country. And if, because if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. And there's a lot of different organizations out there that are right now claiming 
either the, you know, the Patriot organization, this, or, you know, Liberty that, or whatever those may titles may be. But uh, a, a lot of them can be just, you know, grifting organizations that are willing to take people's money and end up, you know, all that money disappears. People wondering what really happened to it and what they're really doing. So if I can get the trust established and show people who we truly are and be courageous and fearless about being out there in public in any venue that we can and talking about what we're doing, then we can go from there. We really want to build a foundation, a, a literal foundation that is decades in, in its lifespan, at least, so we can do things like counter the Soros plan of funding local governance. And we really want to get it helping fund local governance races, because that's how this country is truly built. We want to endorse candidates that are not the lesser of two evils, because that's still evil. We want to find the right kind of people and show the kind of people we support. And it's not always who has the best chance of winning. It has who's the best person. Right. right. Uh, we want to educate people on the Constitution, why that ninth and, ten, ninth and Tenth Amendment matters. A lot of us who've been involved in, in head good civics education, we, I think we understand that by default. But there's a, the immigrant population to America has changed significantly, and they come from countries that may have zero background and understanding of, I guess you could say, Western political thought or theory in our, in our form of governance. So if they don't know what they're fighting for in the first place, it doesn't look that much different than where they came from. Now, people who came from com, former communist bloc type countries, they know what they're seeing in America right now is where they came from us also. And so they fight very hard here and understand it. But if we can back all that up with a system of educating people in our, our civics, our constitution, what rights means regarding not only rights, but privileges and responsibilities, uh, they can understand better the platform upon which they can fight their own fight in their own way. Uh, and in the meantime, we also have, we have some things where we get involved in writing legislation with different states. Some of our folks are working with Freedom Caucus members directly influencing legislation at the state level, like Colorado and Mississippi, here in Montana, where I'm at in Texas. Um, and so we get involved in a number, in a number of different ways, but uh, because we have a 501c4 nonprofit, c3 nonprofit for those who want tax deductions, and we have a super PAC where we want to get involved in races and, and support people the way they need to be supported. And we are specifically looking at school boards, judicial races, and county sheriffs. Mm -hmm. Because if you get those local people involved, you're going to get make change. Right. From the bottom up, just like you build a house, foundation to roof, not roof down. Hey. Right. Now, have you have you heard about this gun bill that they're trying to pass that, that basically federalizes the elections, which would make a game over for us because they'd make sure that none of these Civil War veterans will have to prove ID, you know, have any kind of a form of ID so they could just keep mailing in ballots for all the Democratic candidates. Look. Yeah. I mean, that's just a bold faced shredding of the constitution continuation it's it's it's, it's non-stop uh what upholds the constitution in this country is a valid question and the the upholding of that constitution is not done by military force even though they're i took an oath too it it should be backed up in some ways by that it won't be today um it's us the only will behind the constitution is the people and if the people cease to enforce the Constitution and states, and states refuse to interpose between the people and the federal government, then what you've got is a bunch of words on paper that have no meaning and, and nothing, no resolution behind them. And that'll be our challenge. That's why we got to do the education piece. We're not naive to the immediate threat. And so we call for the, for, and we call for the uh, counties and states to claim themselves as constitutional sanctuaries. It sounds silly to say it because the whole country is supposed to be. But when you have states and counties that willfully violate that contract, they're in breach of contract with you and I, the people, then we need to reinforce that message. And if you have enough states and counties do that with some sort of action behind them, like, you know, we're just not going to do that, whatever that is, we can send the message to the federal government that the 10th Amendment says, we delegated powers to you. <laughs> It didn't go the other direction. 
you're outside of that contract again and we claim our powers back we never should have given up in the first place a lot of this is our own fault for letting ourselves be silent for too long well what do you think of the voter fraud for 2022 you have any insight into that because you know when barack obama became president and he passed obamacare in the 2010 election the Democrats lost 63 congressional seats, 63. We only need to win back five to win back the Congress. We actually won 14 when Joe Biden received the most votes ever of any president, okay? The most popular president ever with the lowest poll ratings in history, right? Which tells you a lot. It should be an absolutely massive red wave. But if the tech, if the if if the drop boxes, if, if the challenges that we never resolved, the mail-in ballots, the lack of authentication of who actually voted remains in place, we could end up losing. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.